0: Our scripture lesson this morning is the 103rd Psalm. If you would like to read this from, uh, with me, we can read it from Selection 25 in the back of the hymn book as a responsive reading. You know, I was, uh, I'm always looking for things to uh, help people to think about the importance of worship and reading the Bible in church. And uh, recently, a church newsletter, I have people who are very kind to cut out little things and mail them to me. And uh, here is one that I really like. I guess it's because I like sports so much. It's, it's The caption reads, a pastor quits sports. Uh, this is the way it goes. Football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring and summer. Your pastor has been an avid sports fan all his life. But he's had it. He has quit this sports business once and for all. You will not get him near one of those places again. And do you want to know why? Every time he went, they asked for money. The people with whom he had to sit didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard and not at all comfortable. He went to many games, but the coach never came to call on him. The referee made a decision with which he could not agree. He suspected that he was sitting with some hypocrites. They came to see their friends and what others were wearing rather than to see the game. Some games went into overtime, so he was getting home late. The band played some numbers he had never heard before. It seemed that the games were scheduled when he wanted to do other things. He was taken to too many games by his parents when he was growing up. He recently read a book on sports, and now he thinks he knows more than the coaches anyhow. (laughs) Does this then sound like anyone you know? (laughs) You very seldom do we hear of a spectator quitting his sport. But it's not so for church. There are a few who drop out for some of the same reasons. Now then, let's get serious a minute. Look at um, the 103rd Psalm. This is a great, great psalm. Now, uh, let's read this responsively. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquities, Who redeems your life from the pit. Who satisfies you with good as long as you live. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He will not always chide. He does not deal with us according to our sins. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. As for man, his days are like grass. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. There are two things which uh, I want to especially emphasize this morning. One is the importance of Bible reading, and the other is to promote our Thanksgiving service and to look into this psalm of Thanksgiving. You will understand, of course, that about this time every year a proclamation is issued by the President of the United States in which uh, we are called upon to give thanks to God and to assemble in our places of worship. Here in Montreat, it has been our privilege to uh, meet here in Gaither Chapel at 10.30 on Thanksgiving Day. Not to hear a long sermon, but for other people to participate. For people to sing hymns of praise, and then for testimonies of Thanksgiving to be made. And so you're invited to come at 10.30 this Thursday morning to uh, Gaither Chapel. And here David Parks will lead our devotion, and I will lead the praise service And uh, I won't sing, but I'll I'll lead the praise service and we will uh, uh, have a time for you to stand up and to give thanks to the Lord for uh, what He has done for you. Now then, let me say a little bit before we go into the exposition this morning of the Word of God. Last summer, uh, I'll give you a little tip. Uh, I have a lot of trouble sleeping, and so I always keep what I call a book to go to sleep reading with. Uh, the doctors at the Mayo Clinic told me one time that if you have difficulty in in sleeping, always get a boring book and read it, and then you'll go to sleep. And so I get some book that takes me a long, long time to get through it, uh, usually some nonfiction book, and this is called Ultra Goes to War. It's a book about uh, uh, breaking the code of the Germans during World War II. Uh a more boring book can scarce be imagined uh, (laughs) because it took uh, uh, some, uh, you know who broke it? Some Polish uh, people came to Cambridge University and got some mathematicians there and they worked together on it and they broke the code of the German army and Hitler was having his own people shot for spying when in reality the British had broken their code. Now the reason that I said that is that in our study of the Bible in recent weeks we've been going through the parables. And one of the mothers who heard me talking about this book, who uh, listens to our service on the radio, told me that her little girl said that when Jesus said that some of the parables were hard to be understood, that he was giving a sort of code. And uh, the code is there uh, for us to read and for us to understand. But in reading this book about codes, I came across a very interesting thing. Uh, There was made... Uh, by the Germans just prior to World War II. They spent years in building it. An enormous battleship. The name of it was the Bismarck. It slipped out of the Baltic Sea in May 1941 and headed for the North Atlantic. Now, those of us, I was 11 years old in 1941, and I can remember the news reels at the motion picture theater. It cost five cents to go to the picture show then. Uh, but they would have newsreels of the convoys that dotted the Atlantic, where the United States, being the great industrial power that we were, was trying to send to Great Britain uh, the materiel uh, to stave off uh, Hitler's uh, onslaught against the British. Well, the Germans, in putting out to sea with the Bismarck, had the most awesome battleship uh, afloat. Uh, the design of the Bismarck was to blast these convoys out of the water. Of course, we had to contend with the German Wolf Packs. their submarines. But the Bismarck was awesome. And her aim was to destroy the convoys that would sail from New York all the way to Liverpool in England. Uh, this ship was the most powerful ship ever built by man. Her firepower exceeded that of the best ship in the British Navy. Her engines were the most gigantic power plants afloat. Her officers were at the peak of fighting efficiency, and she was rendered unsinkable by a honeycomb of watertight compartments below decks. But on the afternoon of May the 21st, 1941, the Bismarck was sighted by a British reconnaissance plane and immediately gained a top priority among the Royal Navy's objectives. Such a ship could have, of course, destroyed this lifeline that I've been describing. And a short time later, the Bismarck was attacked by the HMS Hood, Britain's largest warship. In the ensuing battle, the firing of the Bismarck was so powerful that in ten minutes, she sunk the Hood from a distance of eight miles. The fight continued as she nosed southward to sweep past the British Isles where she was attacked by torpedo bombers, but with apparent little effect. Now here is where this little book, Ultra, comes in. Ultra had broken the German code, and they picked up from the captain of the Bismarck a message in code and decrypted it. The message was that a torpedo had stuck in the rudder of the Bismarck. And so this meant that the Bismarck was making an erratic course, that it could not get into port in France, which was held by the Germans at that time. And so the British, having this information, and knowing that this ship could not go in the direction that it wanted to go in, were able to pounce upon it with their power and the unsinkable Bismarck was sunk. Now, I've said this because the rudder of the ship, one torpedo, blasting away the rudder of the ship, rendered that enormous, so-called unsinkable battleship sinkable. Now, the rudder is that which gives the huge, powerful ship its direction. The Christian needs direction in his life. What is to give us direction? That's where the Bible comes in. And that's where the session has wisely sought to encourage our people in the reading of the Bible. That's why it's important for you to select Some devotional booklet of your choosing and read the Bible and read it every single day. Read it seeking light and direction for your life. It has been my privilege to serve for almost 10 years on the Board of Trustees of Scripture Union. I am glad to serve on the Board of Trust of Scripture Union because I think it's an excellent plan for reading the Bible. I've had the little guide which is used by Scripture Union but is equally applicable to any of the booklets that are given out printed on the bulletin because I want us to look briefly at this psalm and think about this. I first learned about this Scripture Union when I was doing a paper at the University of Edinburgh on the influence of North American evangelism on church life and social organizations in Great Britain. I was studying in Edinburgh and I remembered reading about a young man by the name of Edward Payson Hammond who came from the United States and went to New College also about 1860. And uh, he used to go out and watch the little children in the British churches as they had to wear black clothing with little white collars and they looked like so many little penguins coming into the church and sitting in one place. And Edward Payson Hammond organized a, a, a little service for children. Now, Americans are great specialists, and no one over there had ever thought of having a, a service just for children. We have a children's church. They had a children's service. And so the children's special service mission was organized. And out of that children's special service mission has come great good all over the British Empire, wherever it has been. Parallel to it came the creation of Scripture Union. Just as the Bible societies have as their uh, purpose the printing and distribution of the Bible, Scripture Union had as its purpose the cultivation of the daily devotional reading of the Bible to keep you from reading in the same spot over and over again, to help you to go through the Bible, I meant to bring out here with me some copies of uh, Scripture Union that I have all the way back to 1930. And the interesting thing about those Scripture Union notes is that they're just as relevant and useful today as they were in 1930 when they were written. And it's because they stick with the exposition of the Scriptures and applying it uh, to our life, uh, those scriptural principles. Now, the guide that we're given, and by the way, you'll be interested, some of you who are old-timers in Montreat, Dr. Donald Mitchell, who is over at King College, uh, Donald was profoundly influenced in his own decision for Christ by Scripture Union out in Australia. And I can remember when I was being introduced to using it as a Scripture reading uh, device, I visited Donald and Grace when they first came here to Montreat, And we're living in Mrs. Ross's home, uh, one of uh, our retired missionaries at that time. And uh, I remembered Donald asking me if I would like to share with him in devotions that evening. And I said, yes. And so he had this little booklet. And the thing that impressed me about it was it stuck with the passage of Scripture and explained it. And then he explained to me that if I read also the Scriptures printed at the bottom, that you could go through the entire Bible in the year reading some in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, and sticking right with one book that would help you uh, to understand the truth of Scripture. And then he pointed out what he thought was the most important thing, which are these four things printed in your bulletin. Before you read your Bible, pray. Pray to God, asking the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God to bless His Word, that through Christ you're in the Father's presence and you can come boldly to Him and expectantly, asking for direction. Remember, without His direction in life, we are going to be sunk. We're like the unsinkable Bismarck. We're going to go down. Then read carefully the Bible passage for the day. Refer to the preceding and the following sections as necessary so that you read in context. I know people... Who put their brain in neutral when they read the Bible? They just take. They think that they ought to just flop it open and put their finger down and see something that would be the light for that particular day. Now that's Ouija board theology. That's not scriptural. You're liable to open it up and see, put your finger where Judas went out and hanged himself, and then you're liable to turn it to another verse and where it says, "Go thou and do likewise." You can't. Uh, uh, you can't use the Bible in, like you're shoot and uh, uh, it It's not a monopoly game. Uh, you read it carefully. Uh, you read the passage for the day. You mark, uh, mark it in its context and then meditate. This is a lost art. Elton Trueblood, when he came here to Montreat, uh, we uh, had some long talks together. We used to share someone's summer house here once in a while in the fall. And Quakers are great on this meditation business, and they can teach us a lot. Uh, sometimes I get a little spooked by them, but they, uh, they, they, they really know how to, to think through and to teach you to be quiet and wait upon the impressions of the Lord. Meditate on what you've read. Waiting in openness, ready to obey God's Word. First, think through the passage, asking yourself such questions as, what is the main point of this portion of Scripture? Now then, we've read the 103rd Psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That means that the psalmist would encourage his heart by remembering what God had done for him. And we can encourage our hearts too when we remember that God has blessed us and kept us in difficult situations in the past and that we can trust him in the future. I remember waking up in that intensive coronary care unit after a heart operation in the Mayo Clinic hearing all those sounds and looking at all those tubes and breathing a forced oxygen that was coming at me. If the Lord kept me there, won't he keep me here? Won't he watch over me? If he delivered me when I was in intense pain, can I understand that he's going to keep me through the troubles that come to me in life? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who of us cannot sit down and take out the old revival song, count your many blessings? Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. So... We think about what God has done. How does he reveal himself as father? Like as a father pitieth his children, we are told in this great psalm, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. I love that. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now think about a good father. I'm thinking about one right now. Man by the name, he was a missionary. I'll try to make this a little more interesting to you. He was a missionary out in China, Presbyterian missionary. And uh, he had a son by the name of Henry. And he was talking about his son, Henry, one day to a visiting minister and telling him how his son, who had gone to Yale and had majored in journalism and had become interested in founding a new magazine that might have some interest uh, in keeping people abreast in a quick, rapid reading style of the events that were transpiring. And how his son said to his good old father, If we only had just six hundred dollars, we could get our little magazine off the ground. And that whole missionary took his life savings, six hundred bucks, and he gave it to his son Henry. And Henry Luce founded Time Magazine for that $600. His father was a missionary. He was a good father, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. I remember once out in India, just through the kindness of Dr. Billy Graham being invited to a dinner. Uh, it was the only time I ever saw met Henry Luce was at that dinner, and. His face fairly glowed when he talked about his father. He remembered how much his father loved him. And I think that's one reason he liked Billy. Billy was a preacher, an evangelical preacher. and Mr. Luce talked to him about salvation. He talked to him about the second coming of Christ. They talked about China, about Mrs. Graham's parents who uh, were missionaries in China and about Ruth's being born there. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. A good father loves us, and he is tender to us, and he cares us. We are told also in this psalm that that he, he forgives all our iniquities. Do you have any iniquities? Do you have any sins? I do. I need forgiveness day by day. He forgives my sins. And you know what he puts right in there with it? He heals my diseases. He forgives my sins. He heals my diseases. You remember the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed? And he perceived that virtue had gone out of him. Healing virtue had gone out of him. It cost Jesus to heal. It costs Jesus to die for us on the cross to take away our sins. When we get ready for Thanksgiving, so many of us are apt to be thankful for the turkey and thankful for the pumpkin pie and thankful for being able to stuff our face and watch our favorite football team. Uh, But I wonder sometimes if we ought not to stop for a little bit and thank the Lord for His greatest gift, the gift of salvation through His Son. Thank him that he has won for us pardon and reconciliation with him and salvation. A good father was seeking to teach his little boy the importance of this gift. And he said to his son, whose name was Thomas. He said, Thomas, suppose you fell into a lake and were drowning. And someone jumped into the lake and swam out and rescued you. And brought you safely to shore. And then got you all dried off and warm again. And took you to a place of safety. And then gave you a piece of candy to eat. And you were enjoying that candy. Now what would you thank him the most for? The candy? Or for saving you when, he, when you were drowning? And he said, why of course I would thank him for saving me when I was about to drown. And so we too should remember that the greatest gift that God has given to us is salvation and that he has put our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. I don't know how far that is, but it's bound to be a long way. This has got a picture of Saturn on it. You know what it says? That it's almost a this picture was made almost a billion miles away. That's good camera. Uh, (laughs) nearly a billion miles and so that means that we don't have to be worried about our sins anymore that he has moved them as far away from us as the east is from the west and if Saturn is a billion miles the east from the west must be a mighty long way so far that we don't have to be worried about that anymore because he has forgiven us and we want to recognize that forgiveness and be thankful thankful to god for the great forgiveness which he has achieved for us and that's a mark of a a good person and a good nation good church you know people love to give to other people who have a sense of gratitude a little baby is born into the world he has a sense of taste he can feel he can see can hear he can smell but there are other, other senses that we talk about, too. A sense of right and wrong and a sense of gratitude. Have we developed a sense of gratitude? Are we grateful for what the Lord has done for us? One Thanksgiving service here, Dr. Davis, who was uh, at that time the president here in Montreal, read a letter which I asked for a copy of, that was written by John Steinbeck to Adlai Stevenson. I had the privilege once of serving on a committee uh, with Adlai Stevenson, Jr. And uh, I had the privilege once of riding on an airplane out to Vietnam with John Steinbeck's son. And so this letter interests me. It was a letter that was written almost 20 years ago, but see if you don't think that it's truth, bears our thinking about as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas today. Dear Adline, do you remember the two kinds of Christmases? There's the one in a house where there is little, and a present represents not only love but sacrifice. The one single package is opened with a kind of slow wonder, almost approaching reverence. Once I gave my youngest boy, and I think that's the fellow that I rode with, I gave my youngest boy who loves all living things a dwarf peach-faced parrot for Christmas. He removed the paper and then he retreated a little shyly and he looked at the little bird for a long time and finally in a whisper he said, Now, who would have ever thought that I would have a peach-faced parrot? Then there's the other kind of Christmas. It's the Christmas with presents piled high and all the gifts of guilty parents as bribes because they have nothing else to give. The wrappings are ripped off and the presents are thrown down and at the end the child says, Is that all? Well, it seems to me that America is like that second kind of Christmas. We've had too many things. Americans spend their hours and their money on a couch searching for a soul. We're a strange species. We can stand anything God and nature can throw at us, save plenty. If I wanted to destroy a nation... I would give it too much and I would have it on its knees miserable and greedy and sick. Abraham Lincoln was a lawyer in Springfield, Illinois. Once he was walking down the sidewalk he had two boys, Tad and Willie. They were in a fight on both sides of him. He was trying to keep them apart. And one of the Abe's friends walked by and saw him, and he said, Abe, what's the matter with you boys? And Mr. Lincoln said the same thing that's the matter with the whole world. I got three hickernuts in my pocket, and both of them want two of them. <laughs> and there's a lot to that. We get too much, and we do not stop to have the sense of gratitude that it takes to be grateful for what God has done for us. H.W. Prentice has described it this way. He says there is a cycle from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to courage. And I've been thinking a lot this week about Solzhenitsyn and about what he went through. As a young captain in the Red Army in 1945, a brilliant young captain writing a private letter to a young university friend of his, who was also a captain in the Red Army, in which he criticized Joseph Stalin in no more severe language than you would hear on a nightly newscast of some criticism of a politician. But that letter was intercepted, and Solzhenitsyn was placed in prison because of it, for eight years, and Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn, a child of the Russian Revolution, who believed in communism with all of his heart, was in prison. And in those horrible, cold, freezing, starving days in the Gulag Archipelago, Solzhenitsyn met some Christians and he saw that they were people who believed not simply what they were taught, but what came from their heart. So from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to courage, from courage to freedom, from freedom to a measure of physical abundance, from abundance to selfishness, From selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, and from apathy to fear, from fear to dependency, from dependency back again into bondage. And that's about the way things go. And so we have an antidote to this, and I don't have time to go any further with it. But take this 103rd Psalm and read it. And let it speak to your heart about the God who meets your personal needs and the God who meets the nation's needs and the God who is sovereign of the whole universe, whose angels do his bidding. Paul says that we're to be thankful in all things. Thankful in all things. Let me close by telling you an interesting thing to be thankful for. I was in a town called Enterprise, Alabama. And that is an interesting little town. You know what they've got a statue of in the middle of the town? A boll weevil. (laughs) A lot of these kids don't even know what a boll weevil is. In 1895, when the first little black bug, the little boll weevil, made its appearance in Coffee County, Alabama. The annual yield was 35,000 bales of cotton a year. But in one year it was cut 40% because 40% because of the boll weevil. The damage spread all the way from Alabama to Texas. That's where I found out about it. In his desperation to survive, the cotton farmer had to quit farming cotton and become what we call diversified. He had to start raising corn and potatoes and, most of all, peanuts. Peanuts are legumes. They put a little juice back in the ground. It's nitrogen. In 1919, 19, we are told that the country's peanut crop was yielding more than a million bushels annually. And in that year of prosperity... This little statue was built across from the courthouse square in Enterprise, Alabama statue of a bow weevil. This is the inscription: "In profound appreciation of the bowl weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity. This monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Coffee County, Alabama. If you can give thanks for a boll weevil, you can give thanks for anything. Now let's give thanks even when days are bad. Boll weevils can hit all of our lives. They hurt, but God can turn it into a blessing. He makes people strong by making them exercise the muscles of their faith. And now is the time to celebrate and to give thanks like our pilgrim fathers did. Eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, hands that will not move, legs that will not walk, tears that will not leave, loneliness that eats away, jobs that are too much, days that are too long, guilt that leaves no peace, love that never comes. These are all our bold weevils. They eat away at us, boring holes into our hearts and making them heavy with misery, but God can use all of that. As we learn to celebrate him with the bowl weevils all around, he can make us strong. He can make us something like Christ himself. He can make us like Paul when from a jail in Rome, he wrote that wonderful epistle that is filled with joy called Philippians in which he said, always and in all things Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thanks, Father, for being good to us. We do not deserve your kindness, but we have it anyway in Jesus Christ, your Son. Excite us with your kindness that we may love you and be kind to one another. Always thankful for everything to you, our Father. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Amen.